the question I ask is, who's actually worse, a soul or a, a, Jared, a Jared Taylor? I mean, soul is, is going to be remembered after his death, maybe for a few generations until he, he, he goes away. Jared Taylor isn't going to even be remembered, you know, two days after his obituary runs. Mm -hmm. But I think soul Afrin maybe does more harm. Uh, yeah, to, I think to, so, too. Because... Because he benefited from all of it, he and he and like Clarence Thomas, he also has a white wife. Now that's perfectly fine. I'm not. Does he? I, I was I was actually trying to find who his wife is, and I couldn't see any photos. I think he's been married a couple of times, but but I think his colonel because he's 92 now. I think something like that, 91, mm -hmm. 92. So uh, he he's he. I've seen the photo of one at least one of his wives, and his wife. Now again, I, I'm not I'm not that that's perfectly fine. But it's just interesting that both that a lot of these black concert all of these black conservatives, they want they get the spoils. They mm -hmm. got the spoils. And also, I mean, on some level, they probably find a lot more camaraderie with, you know, if if the white way of doing things is, uh, uh, you know, we're white. These are our entrenched interests. You know, people could sign on to that same project, whether you're black or white or whatever. Right. As long as you sort of, you know, uh, hold it up. And, he, you know, he's obviously holding it up. Right. Uh, I, I think there's a reason why you know, it's like very pathetic. Right. If you look at, you know, the Twitter avatars or whatever of uh, people that are like most heavily pro soul or whatnot. Um, they're just white people, right? And, and that's the thing, like his function, you know, like historically, like long-term, like when like the books get written or whatnot uh, on all this, people are going to say like, yeah, Thomas Sowell's uh, function was to make white people feel good about the status quo. And we're going to start with this, like, uh, I think this is from the 70s or maybe even the 80s. It's just like a five-minute clip where he he essentially tells you, um, you know, what he believes about, you know, notions like equality and whatnot. So, and and notice by the way his behavior on this clip versus you know later clips when he's much older um and and you know he, he's he's much more fiery here which i find kind of funny i think we're talking across purposes on the one hand we're talking about results that we're hoping for on the other hand we're talking about processes that we're setting in motion uh you're saying should we hope for certain kinds of lessening of inequality and so on? Uh, the real question, the political question is, shall we set in motion certain processes because we hope for that? And do those processes enhance or reduce freedom? And I think the argument that Milton is making, certainly the argument that I would make, is that the attempt at doing these things, and it doesn't really matter, it's a complete straw man to talk about absolute inequality. But if you, if, no, 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 yes, not at all. Yes, it is, no. absolutely, throughout the Right. So, I mean, even like so far, you already see uh, exactly where the tricks are going to be. And uh, I mean, it's like so like philosophically since, empty. Since we, since we can't get absolute perfect justice for all in every instance, why to bother? Yeah. It, you know, it's that, it's that classic Jordan Peterson thing, right? Where, I mean, he starts the argument by, you know, invoking, you know, this. he uses the word processes as if it's like very scary. And, you know, to him and maybe to others that he's like essentially kind of supporting, it is scary because processes like in this universe means anything other than the st status quo. We inherited this world like so himself, he he does uh, very much come from poverty, right? He had to drop out of high school. So, you know, it's one of those things like, yeah, he should know better. But, uh, um, uh, you know, we inherit a world. Since we being born obviously didn't construct this world, it's very scary to put any processes in motion that might undermine the status quo. And also like his notion of freedom, right? Is there a reduction in freedom? Now, it depends on how you define freedom. 
obviously, if you abolish slavery, you have abolished some forms of freedom, namely the freedom for a white person to get black slaves, have them work for him, treat them, you know, in any way that he uh, wants to. Uh, that is a kind of freedom. Now, it's obviously not freedom from the perspective of slaves, but it's a kind of freedom. Uh, net, you know, net, it's not freedom, but it is a kind of freedom for white people. The, this gets to the idea of the slates' rights argument about the civil civil war. Oh, it was about states' rights. The states' rights were what? To give free Congolium to all? No, the states' rights to own black people as slaves. And mm -hmm. and, and a state right should never really supersede unless, uh, or, or more often than not, shouldn't supersede uh, uh, individual rights because it's we the people. It's not we the states that starts mm -hmm. the Constitution. Yeah. So, I mean, even the way that he starts, right, like it's already it's already propaganda uh, uh, to begin with. Um, and uh, just like the framing, like before we even get to the specifics of what he's going to argue, like you could already like reject like, well, no, I don't accept your framing of freedom. Right. Uh, I, I don't accept it, your framing of processes and that it's uh, necessarily going to be scarier than the status quo. Like, I don't accept that. And once you do that, you know, everything else gets rejected. I would challenge anyone go to Goodreads or some quotation site, look up Thomas Sowell quotes and find me some idea in any of the quotes that's original to him. Does he have anything original? He's just he's just spouting memes. Yeah. I mean, you know, to the extent that he has his PhD in economics, he probably, you know, studied some niche subject and made some kind of contribution to it. Not I have no idea what it is and whether or not it's worthwhile, but uh, in, in terms of how he, like the big ideas that he presents, like it's just really just repetitively empty, right, in this way. So we'll, we'll see that here. Man, he brings up in order to say how ridiculous to have absolute equality. And then he goes on no, to say how ridiculous to have absolute equality. As a result, you see, that you set up processes who who's, who's in result may not be any more or less inequality than exists now but the question is those processes may indeed reduce freedom greatly uh, i would go beyond the question of equality and, and put it more generally that any process to ascribe any status to any group of people equality inferiority superiority must necessarily reduce freedom because whatever the government wishes to ascribe to any group whatever whatever place to use the phrase that was very common in the south that blacks should have their place whatever place the government is going to assign to people that place will not coincide wait that, that place will not coincide either with, with what all those people are doing or with how others perceive all those people because there's too much diversity among human beings to maintain any system of ascribed status from the top is going to mean reducing people's freedom across the spectrum that but we have literally that thing that he's describing right now which just happens to be the status quo breaking in the direction that he prefers and he says therefore it is justified like what is the argument here you know it's like it's like what what process was started uh the mid-atlantic slave trade there was a process that, that started it i mean uh, the processes you can start a process there's gonna be some negative outcome here or there but if you know that what you have now is not working you have to do something I mean, he, uh, anyway, just play him.
Right. People have an ascribed status. It isn't as if government, by its intervention, creates it. People are born into this world in a given sector of a society, and many, many of them are born at the bottom of the society. The argument for, uh, about equality of results was an argument that was linked to equality of opportunity. People recognized that unless there was a degree of equality in a, a degree of enough food, enough security, access to education. Unless these things were available to all children, then equality of opportunity was merely a mockery. That's why equality of results became an issue, and it became an issue for black people in the United States, and they expressed their concern, whatever they the opinion You expressed polls, it, damn it, look. <laughs> they they no, they did not. They did not. They expressed their will by their extraordinary participation in a protest movement that began in the late 1950s and didn't end now, until I the 1960s. I have never. Intellectuals were not in that protest movement. You want me to black answer or you want to keep going? You want me to answer? I finished. Yes. Good. Black people have never supported, for example, affirmative action, quotas, anything of that sort. Wherever polls have been taken of black opinion on such matters of should people be paid equally or should there be this or that, black people have never taken a position that you describe. Ooh. So it is not a question of and I mean, th that's obviously untrue, right? It, and also depends obviously on how you phrase the question. Right. Generally, yeah, and generally, generally speaking, you know, the, the broad, you know, substance of affirmative action, yes, blacks have, uh, uh, you know, always, and I mean, he could sort of say, you know, say that back then because people can't easily Google then, obviously. Uh, but now, like, we, you know, we'd find that information um, uh, very quickly, right? Like, yes, black people have, broadly speaking, supported affirmative action. These things might change a little bit depending on how you phrase the question. But, you know, that's just a function of creating good polls. And as an economist, he should know this and he should know better. Better, but and he does know better, right? But again, he you know he 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 is useful, right, to uh, these these kinds of superstructures, um, and also I mean like secondarily, uh, well let's just finish his like little uh, he, oh, he's gonna he, start, he's the embodiment of the useful idiot. Yeah, he's gonna do a little shouting here, and I'll just comment some more after the shouting. What black people chose to do is what you you choose to put in the mouths of black people. It is what you choose to to project. It is not what any black people have ever said anywhere that you can put your it's finger what you on. You choose to put into the mouth of the pollsters, as far as I can see. I put in the mouth of the pollsters. The black community. Like most people, I have never seen a pollster. If you look at the leadership <laughs> of the black. Well, here's the thing. Uh, if you ask, you know, like uh, like the average person on the street, uh, who are uh, the two biggest uh, black leaders in American history, right? The the most common response is going to be what? Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. Those are the two m most well known. Well, maybe Frederick Douglass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, for, from let's say the 20th century, um, uh, it would be those two. And what do you know? Martin Luther King Jr. He was a socialist, right? And he. You know, uh, he tanked his popularity when he started talking more about that, when he started, you know, uh, agitating against the Vietnam War. Malcolm X, he was also a socialist. So even by that metric, like you're putting into the words of black people, well, to the extent that we could say the Malcolm X or Martin Luther King Jr. are representatives of black people and are leaders. Well, guess what? Both of them are socialists. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois, another socialist. Even on the face of it, like he's just, he's just, it's just not true, right? What he's saying is not true. Unless, of course, you, you discount those three figures. And I don't know how you could easily do that because they're obviously head and shoulders above Thomas O. So, and, and, and like you said, the way you frame the question, you can all, if you ask any individual, said, 
Do you do you want to have special tra- treatment? Most people are going to say no, whether it's as an yeah. individual, a group level, because because they do, they do want they do want to have uh, uh, you know no special treatment. They want to be treated like everyone else. But part of being treated like everyone else is to all start at the same starting line. It, you run a race, there are, you know, there's going to be the Usain Bolts that are going to sprint ahead and, and win, and there are going to be the laggards behind. But you can't have a fair race if, if, if you have a potential Usain Bolt and he has to run 100 yards and you just have to run 10 yards. This is going to be pretty hilarious in the next video where he makes like a boxing analogy that is like so obviously wrong, you know, that um, it's about this very thing. But I want to go back to the, I want to carry it back to the earlier point. Number one, there's no question about what equality of results, if it comes about through a framework of freedom, is a desirable result. Number two, I argue in the film, I have argued here, that in point of fact, you get greater equality of actual results by a system under which people are free to achieve unequal results. That for the poor people of the world that uh, Francis Fox Piven was talking about, the most effective mechanism for enabling them to improve their status is not a governmental program which seeks to ascribe to them certain positions which seeks to provide them with certain goods and services but a governmental program which tries to eliminate arbitrary barriers to advancement i would say that in this world what is that arbitrary barrier okay let's say we're talking about africans the arbitrary barrier is that they're born in africa right like you know they're just picking uh, and look at this like propaganda thing like this is a clip from uh, the watermark is www.free2choose.net i'm scared of what would happen if i go on this website but just like just like this propagandistic framing that you know we see more and more now um you know like it's all about the, the it, it's always this like nondescript but nice sounding like yeah everybody wants the freedom to choose choose what what are we choosing and at the expense of what and what do you mean by freedom and whose freedom and and you know like what kind of freedom is it really the greatest source of inequality has been special privileges granted by government that government you may talk a great deal there may be a lot of talk about how we're going to eliminate inequality but if you look at go back to your case of britain is there any doubt that one of the effects of governmental intervention in britain has been to create new opportunities for special classes that the way to get wealthy in a society that supposedly is aiming at equality, that the way to get wealthy is to get a special government permit to import, uh, import, to get foreign exchange or to import goods or to, in this country to set up a television station. You know, he's, he's talking about setting up uh, uh, special privileges. What do you think that, that the whole edifice of chattel slavery was? It not only took away it not only took away basic human rights uh, of of the black people, but de facto, by doing that, you put them down a step. You've already created special privileges for the ones that you haven't taken the rights away from. Mm-hmm. It's a zero sum game. You know, either you you want a society where everyone is free and has an opportunity to try. People are going to fail here and there, or you're going to have people running 10 yards racing against people have to run 100 yards and you know and i mean and i bet you there's so many special privileges that they would absolutely you know want to keep for themselves 
right? Um, as all of this is being discussed, right? All the people sitting in that room, everybody sitting in that room has any number of special privileges that are government backed that they would uh, never, ever give up, right? So it would be like, well, you know, this, like, it's it's like the common, you know, uh, welfare argument. Um, you know, if people say like, oh, you know, I, I'm against welfare, I don't think there should be handouts, then you tell them, well, so are you going to pave your own roads? Because that's a handout, right? Uh, so, you know, you're paying into a, a police station uh, uh, like everybody else's. Um, you know, what is that about? Why don't you just police yourself? And they would, great, man. Bill, yeah. Bill, Bill Gates used, used the Postal Service. Bill Gates used aeroplanes built with you have to use FAA approved uh, pilots. Uh, Bill Gates, you use the the international rail system. Bill Gates used the international high or the national highway system. I mean, uh, the, the whole idea that that when that everyone, you know, that these, there are people or, or groups that that just pull themselves up by the bootstraps is, is a load of bullshit, uh, you know, and yeah, they, I mean, I mean, they 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 basically say essentially, yeah, I want these handouts and I want this welfare up until you know this point or that point. But the point that they choose is always the point at which they're not willing to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, right? They're not willing to yeah. police well, their during, own neighborhoods. COVID, what yeah. ever happened to all the the big pharma companies? Oh, they waited until until uh, uh, the government uh, was going to uh, back them so that they didn't have to themselves risk any money. That how that hand Now, I, I'm, I'm for that in, in this system. Uh, I mean, granted, hopefully we, we would have a system where the government uh, it, wouldn't have to bribe companies to do that. But the whole defense contracting is like that. Mm -hmm. You know, look, look at the, the professional sports leagues where, where billionaire owners, uh, Try try to wrangle out millions or billions of dollars to build sports stadiums that are used maybe what a dozen times a year. I mean, everyone mm -hmm. everyone's a socialist when it comes to themselves. They don't they just don't like other people to be socialists. Yeah, uh, and I mean it's 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 always like that, right? Um, it, it presents this like odd philosophical quandary where. Anybody that's making this kind of argument about, you know, the cessation of let's just call them privileges, they're always going to be born into some uh, situation uh, where, uh, you know, they they already benefited from it, right? And they're just trying to uh, shut the door behind them. Yeah. And if, if you're going to be the first one to make the argument, okay, well, we need to cease, you, you have to make the, you have to explain why you specifically having already had this benefit or that benefit why you get to make the argument now and why the door closes behind you specifically right why do you get to like anybody that's born anywhere um they're by necessity right they're they're going to uh, uh they're going to have these like privileges and also obstacles right depending on uh, exactly what it is so and so like we have this uh, slightly longer video from uh, Thomas Sowell, where they they sort of turn into an animation. So like it, that wasn't childlike enough for you. Um, now we're gonna turn it into a little fucking cartoon for the uh, uh, three year olds that are watching this. Listen to that music. Oh, 
My Little Pony meets. I guess the first thing to do is to define what cosmic justice is as distinguished from whatever other kind of justice uh, we may be familiar with. Uh, traditional justice, I guess we can summarize, at least in the American uh, tradition, as applying the same rules and the same standards to everybody. Cosmic justice is very different. It means equalizing the prospects of everybody. No and I mean, even in this distinction, he says this is like the classical American tradition of traditional justice, applying the same rules and standards to everybody. How is this possibly true? Like what in American history makes you think that this is a valuable way of discussing all this, right? Like it's just clearly not true, right? We don't have the same rules and standards to everybody, not now, not then. Equalizing the prospects of everybody. This is not dealing with the physical world, materially physical. This is metaphysics. Yeah. And the, and the phrase that he uses, the cosmic, right? He's trying to denigrate it just by doing this kind of silly mislabel. Those two things are not only different in concept, they are wholly incompatible with one another. If you apply the same rules and standards to everybody in baseball, Mark McGuire is going to hit but, 70 but, you home know, runs. Take a look at it. His, his equal outcome thing, he has the line going down so that he's starting out his cosmic justice unequally. They yes. end up equal outcome. But but he it's so ingrained in his mind, he doesn't even notice that that he he I mean this this is probably his representation of what he thinks reality is because because you know if you go from left to right they they start for 10 yard 10 yard dash 40 yard dash 60 yard dash 100 yard dash equal outcome well if you're going to start people like that you you better damn well equal equalize because why did you just start someone at 100 yards when you started at 10 yards so I mean he, he doesn't even seem to realize I mean, that's such a, speaking of Freudian, getting back to the, the last douche we talked about, I mean, it, that's a Freudian slip if I ever saw one. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's going to be more prominent as this goes on. There are going to be other people who will spend an entire career without hitting 70 home runs, including people in the Hall of Fame like Luke Appling, who twice won the batting championship. So if you want the one thing or the other, you can go for it. But the one thing you cannot do is pursue the two things simultaneously, or rather you cannot successfully do that. The I mean, uh, I think you can do it successfully and you should pursue uh, both simultaneously. I wouldn't quite frame it in the way that he's doing it, but, you know, as far as, far as like a general principle, uh, you know, like I, I've said this before, but we clearly have in this country, right, uh, unequal consequences for equal behavior. Um, if I am going to... Uh, um, you know, like, like if a white person sells drugs, uh, just definitionally, right, they're, they're going to be uh, on average uh, having to deal with um, just like less issues when it comes to law enforcement, right? Uh, they're probably going to get uh, caught less often because just by virtue of being white, you know, they're going to be patted down less. They're going to be uh, suspected less. Um, you know, that, that, is a, that is a kind of inequality, right? You're, you're doing the same kind of misdeed but the consequences for it are very, very different, right? That's not acceptable, right? In terms of like conservative psychology, and if you really do want this kind of, uh, you know, uh, thing where like you, you, you're not, you're not going to punish people, to, you know, that, that's like another way of framing it, right? Like if you're so against this idea of different standards for different people, how do you deal with the fact that uh, 
depending on who you are, where you live, where you're born, what you look like, what you have in your bank account, it's different consequences for different for identical strings of behaviors, right? Even like other examples, like, uh, you know, like with like abortion, um, if you don't have, if you're not able to get an abortion versus uh, a woman that is able to get an abortion, your life be getting pregnant at 15 is going to look very different. And that's not, you know, that that's obviously not acceptable. Um, you can't, you, you, you can't have a society uh, that doesn't like, you know, just like break at the seams if it's going to be unequal consequences for identical strings of behaviors. Supreme Court has been pursuing the two things simultaneously for quite a, quite a while, leading to a lot of five to four decisions uh, and inconsistent decisions. The five to four decisions come from the fact that either Republicans or Democrats at any given year are the ones putting forward these justices. It's a political it's not a it's not a it's not a fucking question of legality. What are we talking about? Like go back to some of those judgments. Go back to Plessy versus Ferguson. Look at the uh what is it, Harlan, the, the famous Harlan dissent in Plessy versus Ferguson. And then compare uh the unanimous decision in Brown versus Board of Ed. Are you telling me me that what happened was like like people suddenly understood the legal world better? Judges became more wise. No, all that happened was the society that these judges were born in is not the society uh, a century later that other judges are born into. That's all it is. The requirements for the two kinds of justice are very different. The requirement for treating everyone the same is very simple. It's mass produced. The requirements for cosmic justice must be handmade and tailored to each individual case. It's much more complex. And what is what is traditional justice? Like he just he's just making up phrases. Like this is not traditional. He's just making this up. It requires a much larger amount of government power. Some third party Ooh. must intervene to determine whether the outcomes are right, whether the prospects are right. The very same words have entirely different meanings within these two frameworks. In fact, as I mentioned in the preface to the book, what really set me off a few years ago to finish it up was a discussion with one of my colleagues at Stanford University, who shall be anonymous in deference to the libel laws, <laughs> uh, who talked about a level playing field. And it became plainly clear that what he called a level playing field is what I would have called a tilted playing field. Tilted so as to produce the results that he wanted. Well, what he's recommending is also a tilted playing field, except it's, you know, the results need to be more in line with the status quo, right? Like, it's just like this, it's such a, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know if, if it's propaganda. I don't know if it's like, to what extent people literally just don't understand the meanings of basic words. But I mean, come on, like, you know, like, like, like e either way that you slice it, you could say one thing is tilted. You could say the other thing is tilted. I'm going to I'm going to assume that he was in charge of whoever the cartoonist was, but if he clearly believes in a tilted playing field, as I said, he had the he had the left to right going like that. So mm -hmm. I mean, he, he believes in it, even if he's subconsciously doesn't even recognize that he's tilting the playing fields. Mm -hmm. Field tilted so as to produce the results that he wanted. When we talk about a fair fight, that means very different things in these two within these two frameworks. Watch this. A fair fight by traditional standards means that both boxers observe the Marcus of Queensberry rules. 
and the fight is fair whether it ends up in a draw or one-sided beating. From the other point of view, from the cosmic perspective, it's fair only when the two fighters enter the ring with the same prospects of winning. Uh, John Rawls has... That, but that's, that's literally how boxing is. You're not going to put a 300-pound heavyweight against a you know 120 pound boxer he yeah. he like this is this is like the worst example that i could think of and he's doing it he doesn't even understand that he's doing it literally what he's describing when it comes to something like boxing is we have you know we don't have like that's the thing you're never going to get perfect equality we don't do boxing matches based on okay he weighs 140 pounds and a, and a half and he needs to weigh 140 pounds and a half right we don't do shit like that right it's gonna be like within a, 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 an acceptable range and you know very well that if the because if you fall even a little bit outside that range like you know a 10 pound difference or a 15 pound difference a 20 pound difference specifically because like when we're talking about something like boxing you know years and years of training these are not random people from the street we're talking about years of training years of diet right years of watching other things like years of making sure that you know uh your weight uh stays a certain way uh that you don't get injured right it was certain certain kind of directions and patterns so you know in, in a very kind of essential way the only reason why a boxing match would be interesting is two boxers show up and they are already more or less equal okay anything other than that that's not an interesting match anymore it's gonna be you know what he described earlier which is just like you know a total like bludgeoning granted like you could you could have you know two equally ma matched boxers and you could have one that totally dominates but you know um uh, uh we 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 basically set up the exact thing that he says that we should not be doing and he uses the worst possible example um and like like nobody nobody's like calling him out on it. i doubt if there was like a, a this is based on some lecture i doubt if there was a question and answer session anybody was even like able to like you know pick up on how horrible this example was yeah well that's why you have weight classes that's why muhammad ali never fought uh you know, uh, Roberto Duran or, or Sugar Ray Robinson. Uh, yeah. Uh, or even like in like smaller case, I, I don't know how, how true this is, but like, you know, I, I heard for instance that um, Floyd Mayweather, you know, I, I don't know how true this is, but he, he's been accused of being very selective in terms of the boxers that he fights. Meaning, you know, obviously they're always, they're always going to be within his weight class, but he probably, you know, let's say that he has the ability to pick and choose in that way. You know, e even when you get like on that level of analysis, right, there's all these like finer distinctions that you could make and all this like decision making that does tilt the playing field in ways that you don't want. And it's quite counter to everything that's that uh, he's arguing for here. As, well, uh, boxing man boxing so managers have done that. It's called fighting tomato cans. Joe Lewis had his bum of the month because he'd fight mm -hmm. once a month and he'd, he'd, he'd fight against, uh, you know, a, a, a terrible fight on his way down or a youngster that didn't have a chance. That's all. I, that's to maximize the, maximize the money to add, you know, 10 or 12 knockouts to someone's record to, to make them more money, um, mm -hmm. you know, but summarized and epitomized these two differences. He distinguishes what he calls fair equality of opportunity from merely formal equality of opportunity. Uh, traditional justice or fairness by Rawls's standards means simply that people are, are judged by the same rules. But genuine equality of opportunity, as he calls it, cannot be achieved by this, uh, by this method. Instead, he says, undeserved inequalities 
call for redress. Uh, and obviously someone must have power in order to do that redress. Yeah, we have that power now and people are making those decisions now and they're going to continue making these decisions. The question is, what kind of decisions do we want? A genuine equal opportunity cannot be achieved by by play, judging by the same rules. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's try it first. I mean, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, like a, uh, this. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Now, what's called what I call cosmic justice has been called by some people social justice. But I think they're unduly modest because they're trying to correct not only the inequities that they see in society, they're trying to, to correct the oversights of God or the defects of the cosmos. When some people are born uh, with physical or mental handicaps, they want to counterbalance that. And of course, that's not always caused by society. So that when Rawls says that undeserved inequalities, he includes all sorts of things. And that, that opens up a very large area. How, how could somebody like making this cartoon, like literally put this down and think, huh, I think he's making a lot of sense here. How could he watch a race like this and think that this is acceptable? Like, yeah. how are you like not making the other side of the argument about putting this kind of picture together? Yeah, it's just it's just so weird to like watch something something like this. And like there's there's nothing that goes off in the video creator's mind like, oh, oh, my goodness, like this is unacceptable area for others. You can find this perspective on uh, justice, the Rawlsian perspective, in many places, from the street corner community activists right up to the chambers of the Supreme Court. For example, a few years ago, a, uh, an admissions director at Stanford University wrote a book in which she pointed out that during all her years as an admissions director, she had never required students to submit achievement tests because some of those students, she said, through no fault of their own, attended schools where they could not have acquired the, t the skills necessary to do well on such tests. So she's trying to redress the inequalities and therefore she would simply not require such tests. The, co the educational testing service is currently engaging in a, a renorming of test scores to take into account the social backgrounds and handicaps of the students so that the score will then again redress pre-existing inequalities. Um, why, why in this cartoon does the kid who has the hard workbooks that he's standing on uh, have more books, uh, and the the kid who's sitting on the grass doesn't have a single book? So is the implication that the kid who he might has, have a tablet? He has like a tablet. He's he's yeah. reading an ebook. Yeah. Well, but but yeah, but my point is, you got the hard the hard work kid. Okay, if that's hard work, uh, does that mean only those two books symbolize hard work, or is all books supposed to symbolize hard work? Is the kid on the bottom lazy, uh, and 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 that's why his his expectations are low? It doesn't seem to make sense the, that that the kid who has to go the highest is the only one who's I guess being uh, credited with hard work. Just as just the cartoonist, since you mentioned the cartoonist doing that, I, I would question what is the point of of that of that figure. And then it, you notice at the very end, now it's just a girl that's taking selfies. And then the worst of all, a total phone addict that also seems to be an alcoholic who's drinking a liquid the same color as his shirt. Applying the same standards to everybody. Whenever I hear the notions of fairness in education, I think back to my own education. 
And I think, thank God, my teachers were unfair to me when I was a kid growing up in Harlem. Uh, one of these teachers was a lady named Miss Simon, who belonged to what might be called the General Patton School of Education. Uh, I cannot even imagine that Miss Simon gave a moment's thought to my self-esteem. <laughs> Every word that we misspelled in her class had to be written 50 times, not in class, but as part of our homework. And there was always plenty of other homework from her and other teachers. And so you misspelled four or five words and you had quite an evening ahead of you. <laughs> Very little chance of listening to the Lone Ranger. Now, was this fair in Rawlsian terms? And the answer is no. Like many of the children in Harlem at that time, I came from a home where nobody had gone beyond elementary school. I still remember what a big fuss was made when I was promoted to the seventh grade because I had gone further than anyone else. Uh, in later years when I graduated from Harvard, it, there was no such fuss. They expected me to. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is if, if, that cartoon, if that cartoon is true, he had a white teacher, which meant he was going to an integrated school in a, mm -hmm. in a time when even in New York, uh, not all the schools were integrated. So uh, he might have had more homework, but he also had access to probably better teachers who were better paid than the black counterparts. So, he, 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 and I don't know if that's true that that was a white teacher, but let, let's assume that that he had some influence into this video being made. Uh, if that's true, he's again glossing over advantages that he had. Now, may, maybe it was because maybe it was only because they, they thought he was the smart Negro boy who who could achieve or whatnot. But he was apparently getting advantages that he doesn't even recognize in hindsight that he had. He's someone who has totally divorced himself from his formative years, and this explains why he can then turn around and slam that door that you mentioned on the the next guy behind him in line. Fairness was never an option. There was nothing Ms. Simon or anybody else could do about the fact that we came from homes uh, where we did not uh, have books and magazines and we were not as familiar with those words as people from other neighborhoods might have been. So that was never an option. Nothing that the schools could have done would have changed that. It would have been an irresponsible self-indulgence for them to have pretended to make things fair. If there's anything worse than unfairness, it is make-believe fairness. They yeah, but like is it college board apparently the, trying to do so that he knows this stuff in the future in his life? She is trying to be fair. She is trying by teaching him the very act of teaching him. She's trying to make life a bit more fair for him down the road. He, mm -hmm. Again, he doesn't even see that. Yeah, yeah. Do pretended that we knew more than we did, and that would have made them feel good. It would not have done much for us. Instead, they forced us to meet standards that were a little harder for us to meet than it were for some other kids, but far more necessary for us to meet because that was the only way out of poverty. Many years later, I happened to uh, run into one of the other kids from Harlem who w went to that same school at the same time. And by now he was uh, a psychiatrist. He owned a, a home in the Napa Valley and property out there. In fact, now he's uh, retired living overseas with servants while yours truly is still trying to make a living. <laughs> but as we uh, reminisced about uh, things that had happened in the old days and what had happened in between, one of the things he mentioned was that over the years, his various secretaries had commented on the fact 
that he seldom misspelled a word. <laughs> I told him that my secretaries had made that very same observation and that if they knew Miss Simon, there would be no mystery as to why we did not misspell words. Uh, first of all, um, what I would say is, how would a PhD or some other intellectual frequently misspell words? That's just like a, a very weird kind of situation uh, to begin with. Secondarily, uh, if this guy with servants and you know retiring in a beach somewhere, if he's frequently misspelling words, but is also getting really, really rich, talk about fucking like unearned riches, right? You know, to get back to Floyd Mayweather, um, I don't think it's a low blow to make fun of the fact that he barely seems to know how to read or write because it's a low blow if it's the Floyd Mayweather of 40 years ago when he's a child and, you know, he comes from a, a terrible living situation. By the time that you are in your 40s and you have like whatever it is, hundreds of millions of dollars or over a billion dollars, if you're still so uncurious about the world that you never bothered to learn how to fucking read, you know, you, you, like you, don't, you, you, you pretty much don't deserve anything. You, like you don't, you don't know what to do with your money. You don't know do, what to do with your riches, right? You're just kind of like wasting away. So that's first of all, it's a very weird kind of like uh, thing to talk about in, in that lens. But yeah, to, to get back to your point, the mere fact that he's being taught, why is he being taught? Like, like I assume he's going to a public school, isn't he? Who set that up? Who, who, who put that process forward for universal schooling in America? Because not every country in the world had universal schooling by the, uh, I believe it was in the 1800s in America. So who set that up? Who put that process in motion? That's not fair. Someone else had to pay into that system. If there was no public schooling, we would not know of a Thomas Sowell. So yeah. he gets the education. He gets the public schooling. Now time to shut the door behind him. I actually sympathize with, uh, you know, his comments about how a teacher should behave in a classroom, right? I do think that when it comes to you being in a classroom with children, you shouldn't give any kind of slack. You shouldn't give double standards. You shouldn't pat somebody in the head and say like, oh, you know, but I know he comes from a bad family. So I'm, I'm going to give him a, a passing grade uh, on this clearly, you know, uh, failed uh, a paper or failed test or whatever. You shouldn't do that. That's obviously bad. But the the reason why this is a bad example in general, beyond the fact that, you know, public school and all that, and he's allegedly doesn't like any of this, and yet he benefited from it. Beyond, you know, all those other considerations, a teacher in a school can't do anything about your social situation. They can't help you because you have a broken family. They can't help you because you have no books uh, in your uh, uh, classroom. Although, I mean, sometimes it happens. Like I remember one time there was a, a teacher in third grade that felt bad for me about a coat that I was wearing. So she gave me like her son's like larger, warmer coat. She didn't have to do that, right? And that's obviously not fair. She's not like giving it. She has only one fucking coat to give. And she's not going to go out uh, and buy other coats for other people. So stuff like that happens. But, you know, teachers are not there to deal with all the thousand problems in your life. They're literally there to teach. Okay. So there's a tax system. There's a public school system. By, by the tax system, the teachers get hired and they help you, you know, as a child in the classroom. But that does not preclude all those other ways that a 
tax system and a revenue generating and a revenue collection system can work, right? It doesn't have to be just schooling. What if every child gets a library card? And we do have that. We have libraries. So you may not have a computer in your house, but if you have access, at least in New York City, to a library, you could have pretty much anything. I remember how you know, wonderful it was when I first started reading as a teenager and I started going to the library. I, I could not fucking believe that I could go online. I could make a request for any book that I wanted. And most of the books I was able to find a library and they would literally deliver it in a goddamn truck to my library across the street. And I could go pick it up and they would give me like two weeks before they would send it back. Let's say Thomas Sowell was hungry when he was growing up. Well, if there's a free lunch program, that's going to help him out. If there's food stamps, that's going to help him out. If there's some means of him not being hungry in school, because if he was like that hungry in school, he probably would not have learned to spell words very well. The idea that, you know, simply because a teacher can't do literally everything for you, therefore all these other things can't exist. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like these are such bad, it's like bad example after bad example after bad example. And I'll bet you that if that great teacher of his who didn't take any pity on him as a kid uh, was worried about her pension or about uh, her Medicare after she retired, uh, and she went on on strike with her other fellow good teachers. He'd probably be the first one to to say fuck them, fire them all. Yeah. Or you know, if if uh, let's say um, you know the the revenue collection system wasn't sufficient, and she was being paid minimum wage. Would she give a fuck about him? You know, like, would she actually be out there, you know, doing this like hard work and being strict? And I mean, because being a teacher is really hard work, right? It's emotionally draining. It could be physically draining. Um, there's so much to worry about. There's so much to worry about even when you get home. If you're going to get paid minimum wage for that, you might not want to do that job, especially you might not want to do it well. So it's like, again, like all these contradictions, it's just like so silly to listen to that, you know, you said it's a man in his 90s here. He was a man, I guess, in his 60s. But still, like, I mean, what the fuck? Like, you need to have some kind of intellectual standards. And that's the irony. He would be the first one to sort of talk about these intellectual standards. And yet he's not meeting them in this goddamn cartoon. History as to why we did not misspell words. Now, it so happens I became a high school dropout. But what I was taught before I dropped out was enough for me to score higher on the verbal SAT than the average Harvard student, which may have had something to do with my being admitted to Harvard in an era before affirmative action was even thought of. What if the teachers had, uh, those of that era had been imbued with the... Is that really true? I wonder, I wonder if there was a nice white liberal on that committee that said, Thomas O, huh? Well... Yeah. He seems well-spoken. I like him. I feel white guilt. You know what? Fuck it. Let's bring him in. How do you, how do you know that uh, this was before the era of affirmative action? Affirmative action merely codifies uh, what's kind of in the ether already in many respects, in one direction or the opposite direction, right? He has so many assumptions. Like so, It's so sloppy, right? It's so sloppy. And if he, was, if he was a high school dropout, can you – this would have been – Say if he's in his 90s, third, this would have been around 1950. Yeah, in 1950, there's a young Negro uh, student who's a dropout go, going to even be able to get a, uh, an SAT test at Harvard. A conception of fairness. Where would my schoolmate and I be today? On welfare, in prison, perhaps in a halfway house if we were lucky.
And would that not have been an injustice? To take individuals capable of independent, self-supporting, and self -direct, being self-directed women and men with pride in their own achievements and turn them into dependents, clients, supplicants, mascots. Now, the primary let's, let's purpose assume, of mascots... Let's assume that what he's saying is so... I would, I would, I would argue, argue uh, uh, if he's saying what he's saying is so, um, the, these individuals are capable about that's making the assumption that everyone that he deals with is capable of making logical, rational choices, as he seems to say. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, back in 1950 or so, when he would have been applying this, would that really have been happened? I mean, seriously, um, the idea, the idea here. Uh, when you when you get affirmative action or whatnot, is to say we recognize that people who are making the decisions of of entry into college because affirmative action was first applied in colleges and then in businesses that 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 they are going to have their biases and whatnot. So this is why we are codifying things. This is why uh, they had uh, uh, judges having mandatory sentencing. Now that's bad in the criminal system because it, it it takes away the freedom of the judge to 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 look at individual circumstances. But but that that acknowledges affirmative action acknowledges that human beings do make bad choices. They do have their biases. So by 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 codifying certain little advantages for those who have obviously been disadvantages, you are trying to 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 balance the wheels again. Again. Uh, he 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 makes he, I I have a, a, a sense that that his whole narrative of his life is a lot of bullshit. Uh, that he that you know that that he had this wonderful teacher and, and because of her he got into Harvard or whatnot. Well, I my my guess is is that that a lot of a lot of this uh, was stuff he benefited by things he may not have even known known that he benefited. Like you mentioned about someone on a selection committee or something. Um, I his whole thing is based upon people acting rationally and in the self-interest of not just themselves but in society's better interest and that's not the way people people react and that's the very reason you have uh, affirmative re uh, action is because people do not have generally speaking the capabilities to do that here and there yes but on the whole probably not and the, his lack of realization of that flaw in the human character is why uh uh, why so much of his what he says is just it it's from another world he might as well be coming from you know another an alien planet he's from uranus mm. uranus is to minister to symbolize something that makes other people feel good the actual fate of the mascot himself is seldom a major consideration the uh, argument here is not against real justice, what, what, real what equality. Is he what, what has he become? He is the mascot. He is he is the one black person mm -hmm. that, that even the most racist white people will turn to and say, "Oh, Thomas Sowell, he's a genius." One, he has become a mascot by by going to his worst instincts. Mm -hmm. The only argument is that some versions of these things are simply impossible, and that trying the impossible has costs. And, and real dangers as well. Uh, after all, the people who manned the communist movement around the world before the Soviet Union was established didn't devote themselves to this cause for the sake of creating gulags and, se and secret police and territorial aggrandizement. They did it because they were seeking social justice. But what actually happened shows some of the costs and some of the dangers of that.
Most ordinary Americans still have the traditional conception of justice. And that means that people who have this cosmic notion of justice must misrepresent what is happening as being a violation of traditional justice. And therefore, they must, for example, misrepresent test results as being either arbitrary barriers to advancement or deliberate efforts to perpetuate inequalities. As Joseph Schumpeter once said, the first thing a man will do for his ideals is lie. The next thing he will do, and this is my addendum, is character assassination. Those people who disagree with those with a vision of cosmic justice must be stopped in their view by all means necessary. And that, of course, includes character assassination. I mean, he's literally doing the same thing, right? You are against freedom, right? Yeah. Like, he's doing this again. He says, the first thing a man will do for his ideals is lie. Okay, well, does, that, does this apply to you? Uh, are, are you are you are you special here? It's the same like Jordan Peterson shit, right? Like you know, um, you know, everybody lies except me. You know, I I'm the one that has come to this. Whenever he talks about mistakes, it's always like 50 years uh, in the past, right? It's never you know. Look at this shit that I I'm doing the last 10 years. Uh, they must be bought to use a verb of our time. Now the people who are the victims of this atmosphere of character assassination are not simply those who are targeted. The whole society is a victim because you are not going to be able to attract into the public arena people who value their privacy, who value protecting their families from humiliations, uh, if in fact disagreements become simply grounds for smears. In a sense, the people who are caught up in the vision of cosmic justice are also victims. Because once having demonized other people, they really cannot go back to square one and re-examine the evidence and find out whether what they've been advocating has been producing the results they want or producing totally different results. And so they're locked into the vision they have too much of a stake in it to ever uh, think, think about doing something different. I have a chapter in the book called The Tyranny of Visions, about how, how the vision becomes more real to people than any empirical reality. A classic example was one described by Paul Johnson, uh, Lenin. And Johnson pointed out that Lenin, although he spoke of himself as a representative of the proletariat, had in fact never set foot in a working class neighborhood in any of the cities he'd ever been in, inside or outside of Russia. He had never talked to the workers and had no idea what they believed about anything. This is this is like uh, you know uh, you definitely you know Lenin was this kind of like you know upper crust type who you know was much more kind of like you know intellectual slash theologian as opposed to like a true like revolutionary in that way like you know getting his own hands really dirty but I mean come on this is such a bullshit fucking exaggeration you never stepped put in a work class neighborhood never spoke to the people what the fuck are you talking about like the whole the the, the whole reason why people are drawn to Lenin is because of this like powerful powerful charisma his wife yeah right you know before uh right after he got exiled she also gets exiled because she's like organizing all these worker strikes uh people are drawn to him because uh, he has a very dynamic personality the idea that he's not going to exploit that by speaking to people shaking hands like it's just bullshit he also after becoming the ruler of russia never set foot in soviet central asia which is an area larger than all of western europe and in which all these doctrinaire schemes from Moscow were imposed for nearly three quarters of a century with devastating results. What he was devoted to was the vision, not flesh and blood people. A flesh and blood people were a complication on the road to realizing the vision. And as it turned out, if he had to kill a few million of those, that was just so much too bad. And of course, we've seen.
Okay, we could stop here. I don't necessarily even disagree with this part, uh, but uh, only to only only to say that this obviously applies equally to Thomas So, you know, so I mean, like, there, there's nothing special about this. It literally applies to everybody, anybody that has their own like political machinations. All of this is bad, but you know, I, I, I don't see how this is necessarily that different from okay, we're going to come to America, we're going to colonize it, we're going to literally wipe out ninety percent of the native population. Now we're going to bring in Africans, and that's going to you know create its own issues. And then 150 years later, we're going to pretend like none of that happened and you know pick yourself up by the bootstraps um we're going to engage in proxy wars all around the world and nobody could stop us we're going to say we have the Monroe doctrine but no one else has the right to invoke their own Monroe doctrine i mean come on give me a break like everybody does the same fucking thing you know uh it, it's nice being from the soviet union because i could look at this honestly and, and i don't have to fall in love with any kind of ideology right because i could have a, a realist approach and if anything like so is the absolute fucking idealist here he's not the one shaking hands. He's not the one in the real world. He might have been in the real world at some point in his life, but that's so far away. That's gone. Right. Time to move on. All right. So maybe we could just, uh, I, I don't want to do Lang in this too annoying. Um, and we already spent hours and hours here. So uh, guys, thank you for watching this. It's uh, um, uh, it, It's been nice. And for the patrons, we're going to discuss Israel, Palestine, a bunch of other things, some uh, juicy details about um. Anyway, maybe I, I'm not going to use some of the words because the words would get flagged. But if you want to see the kind of words that I would use on the patron show, that is patreon.com slash automachination or the YouTube join membership program. Thank you guys for watching this. And for the patrons, we are transitioning to the patron show now.